0: From the New Bethel African Methodist Episcopal Church in East Dublin, Georgia, this is the podcast. The Reverend Lakeisha Womack, an ordained deacon in the African Methodist Episcopal Zion Church and the CEO of Rethinking Church Strategies, believes that when we talk about church growth, we need to think beyond the numbers. We need to focus on the resources and programs that can attract people to our church, Reverend Womack, a graduate of Vanderbilt University and the Campaign School at Yale University, joins the podcast to talk about church and church growth strategies. Hi,
1: everybody, and welcome to the podcast. And uh, it is my pleasure to welcome uh, here a, a person that I think you're going to enjoy. If you geek out like me talking about church inner workings and church growth, uh, this is the Reverend Lakeisha Womack. Uh, Lakeisha, uh, welcome to the podcast.
2: Thank you so much. I'm excited to be with you all today.
1: So let's kind of start off. And I, when I do podcasts and I and I have a guest, I, I really like to start off with an origin story. And, um, and 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 let's kind of go back and and talk a little bit about uh, your origins in the church. Oh
2: wow. How far back do you want to go? Because I've been in church all my life and i um, <laughs> have quite a, quite a few um, phases that I've gone through in the church. So where would you like to start?
1: Okay, let's go phase one.
2: Okay, so phase one, grew up in a small town in southern Alabama, Um, went to a church that consisted of about 10 members for most of my life. It was the pastor, his wife, his son, me, my mom, my grandma, my grandfather, and my brother, and maybe like a couple of other people. Um, So I have done like the small church, Um, have also lived in Atlanta, Nashville, Charlotte, and, you know, attended the mega churches or the larger churches, so when I talk to people about about church growth and um, church strategies is not just from the context of big church, you know, hundreds of members, but I also understand the struggles of smaller churches and small congregations.
1: Mm, gotcha. And, and, and your original church, was, was that uh, an AME Zion church?
2: Yes. So I'm a third-generation Zionite, and my son um, was baptized, and he was a couple of months old, so he's a fourth-generation Zionite.
1: So, yeah. Uh, us AME is? uh welcome yeah. <laughs> Amy welcome and love Amy Zion as well we worship uh the same God and uh that that is that is absolutely fabulous one of my uh favorite professors in uh seminary Jeffrey Tribble uh is Amy Zion oh, yeah. so uh, yeah
2: yeah I yeah. yeah, love yeah, Dr yeah. Tribble his wife his son they are a great family
1: yeah, they are. They're really fabulous people. I hope to have them on the podcast one day. So let's let's talk about church growth and um, how would you define church growth?
2: So I think a lot of people think about church growth in a numerical um, way. So it's like, you know, how do we add more people to the church? But I look at church growth from a spiritual aspect. How do we help to grow people spiritually? Because the um, analogy that I use is, you know, when I go to a restaurant and the food is really good, I'm always going to tell somebody, hey, you've got to try this restaurant because the food is really good. And I feel like one of the reasons we have such a hard time growing our churches and getting people to invite people to come to the church is because they're really not being fed something that's so good they have to go tell other people about it. And so rather than coming up with, like, all of these gimmicks to try to, you know, do, like, friend and, oh, you know, we're going to have friends and family day, so invite all your friends and family. Like, let's think about how can we consistently feed people something that's so good that they have to go tell other people about it.
1: Okay, so what's the food? And So how do we – how do we uh... – What's the secret sauce? How do we feed, what is it that we're feeding people so that's so good that they they that they want to come or they want to engage online and, 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 and that kind of stuff?
2: So I think it's different for every church. Um, what I tell churches to do is, you know, take an inventory of who your members are, what your capacity is. Like some churches, they do children's church really well. So children's church is what you do really well. You know, focus on that, and then you're going to get, Parents who are going to come because if my kid wants to go to church, they want to sit through, you know, whatever they're doing in church school, then I. I'm more than likely going to come as well. Um, If you do youth church really well, like if you're able to get teenagers to engage in your programming, then do that really well because teens are social, and so they're going to invite their friends and tell them, like, hey, you got to come to this program with me. Or if you do young adult ministry really well, they're social also, so they're going to tell other people. So figure out, like, what population do you serve really well and focus on serving them, and then you're going to get those other demographics that are going to come and support, and then you can start branching off and adding other ministries. But I feel like a lot of times we stretch ourselves so thin trying to be something to everybody that we end up not really speaking to anybody.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, So now that we are, I think, can see the light of the tunnel uh, during the pandemic, can you reflect on what you are seeing the state of the church Uh, through uh, the pandemic and and now uh, as we are at the the cusp of of being over it?
2: So there are a couple of things that I'm seeing. One is, you know, there's this real excitement to go back into the church, and I just wonder how well – pastors and church leaders are preparing for what going back is going to look like, so going back into space, because a lot of churches have lost, you know, five, ten, or even more members. And because the the loss was not a gradual loss. So typically in the life of the church, you know, one person might pass away and you kind of get used to not seeing them there. Then someone else might pass away. and You kind of get used to not seeing them there. But to go back and to see that, you know, there are going to be um, spaces missing, almost like, you know, the rapture. It's going to be um, emotionally difficult for members, and I don't know how well we're doing preparing for that. Um, another thing that um, – I'm saying are churches who are, like, repurposing their facilities. So because they've been out of space for the past year, like, some churches have, you know, been um, using their sanctuary – not their sanctuaries, their fellowship halls as, like, community centers – Some churches have been using their spaces for, you know, vaccination sites. So I'm seeing that churches are starting to expand their mindset around what can be done with our facilities. So outside of Bible study and Sunday school and what we do um, for worship experience, what are some other ways that the church building can be a resource for the community. And, um, and I'm seeing that, you know, churches are having to be more intentional about their media ministry. Um, Before COVID, you know, churches were like, we don't have to be online and we don't need a Facebook and we don't need a website. But now the churches are starting to see that that's how a lot of people are connecting with their ministries. Um, I guess a part of our fear is that they're going to say, okay, now that we're back in space, we don't need that anymore. When the reality is there are a lot of people that we were missing by not utilizing technology because everybody wasn't not coming to church because they're lazy or because they're uninterested. Some people might work on Sunday. Some people might be homebound. Some people might be taking care of a homebound person. So part of the reasons that churches have seen an increase in participation is because church is now more accessible. And, of course, you know, there's a debate about, you know, do we need to be in space for it to truly be fellowship? But um, if we are reaching people and helping them to connect with Christ, then I don't see the problem in us doing it both ways.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I, I see your point absolutely. And, and one of the strategies that we're thinking about at New Bethel is uh, a hybrid model where... Right we will be we will be back in space uh but we also will produce a um, uh content that is specifically for people looking at on the web uh, wow. because we have discovered a whole new audience uh on the web that uh like you said that we've never had before and um and and that kind of leads me to to my next uh, conversation topic with you. Uh, with the effort that you're doing, uh, that that you that you call rethinking church, and, mm-hmm. um, and, and 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 kind of walk me through that. Should, should churches be really thinking about branding? And uh, you, you you kind of talked about what's your what's your soft spot in terms of what your good spot is in terms of programming. How should churches be thinking about that? Well, I think
2: that one. Churches need to be more intentional about how we are engaging with our community. So if you look at the history of the church, especially the history of the black church, it was where we were able to come together for fellowship as well as for spiritual growth. Well, now that you don't have like that fellowship need anymore, because like I've heard people say, well, you know, they got to come to church because we need to fellowship. Well, now people can fellowship anywhere. So now that that's off the table, what is it that we are providing that makes people want to come and be a part of what we're doing? And a lot of times, you know, when I ask well, I have one church, to say, you know, how can we get more men to come to church? And I said, okay, so what do you have to offer, like, you know, a 22-year-old black man? Like, what are your programming? What what is it that you're offering that will make them want to come? Because too often we put the ownership on people. Well, the people don't want to come. The people aren't interested. But, you know, at some point we have to do some self-evaluation. What is it that I'm offering that makes people want to come? If I'm in an area that's predominantly young adults, but I refuse to change my model of worship, I can't be mad at the young adults for not coming because it's not their responsibility to adapt to what I'm offering. Because the word of God stays the same, but how we present it has to be in a way that's relatable to people or they're going to choose, they're going to make a different a different choice.
1: Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. Uh, let me just reset here. I'm here with, with Teacher Womack, uh, who is a church growth expert. Uh, she is uh, doing great things with an organization called Rethink Church, and we're just uh, walking out a little bit talking about, how church is going to look uh, now and in the future. One of the things that that I've tried to do uh, as a pastor is looking at how um, the consumer market uh, mm-hmm. markets to people, and right. um, and I, and I'm, I'm a firm believer that um, that there's a whole segment of people out there who will tell you that I'm faithful, I'm, I, but I just don't like church. I don't like religion. Right. I don't like that stuff. But but I do wanna hear the word. So I think right. that um uh, that there's there's prime opportunities now to uh take your message and segment it, make it smaller and and put it out on the web. For example, one of the things that, that we're doing is I do a one minute commentary now. And um mm-hmm. and I and and we put it on Facebook uh and uh uh, it's just a minute. And so what we're doing is, is is okay, you don't need the whole deal. Here is the here here's a little piece of it. And uh I'm amazed now how many people are, are latching on to it and like it and sharing it and those sorts of things. And so um uh, that's I, I think a way that we can we can spread the gospel by just taking our message and men in it.
2: Right. And I think you know, we have to come to the realization that discipleship is a process and so um a part of the research that i was doing was trying to figure out what does it mean or what is the process of discipling individuals and the umc created this chart that i use in a lot of my trainings and it talks about the five stages of discipleship and it talks about how people go from um searching for something trying to just figure out what they're looking for to exploring it's like now you know maybe this church thing is it to um beginning so they begin to read the bible they begin to show interest to growing where they start to you know come to church sporadically you know maybe come to bible school occasionally and then they grow into a mature disciple and what I found is by taking that um, chart and looking at how we do ministry, we don't often have ministry opportunities or opportunities to engage with people who are in that searching and exploring phase. So those are the people who are going to latch onto those, you know, two or three minute segments because those are like seeds being deposited in them. They're not full-grown trees yet, so they're not ready to bear fruit. They're not ready to, you know, thin in the sunshine. Like, they're still, you know, getting some dirt poured over them. They still need, like, some water and some tilling of the ground. And so we don't do a lot of work with that segment, and those are the people that we're supposed to be reaching. But it's so much easier for us to put out content and to minister to people who already know who God is who already have an idea of who Jesus is. But the reality is most of those people already have churches as well. So that's another reason why we don't see a lot of growth is because we're not intentionally engaging people who have questions.
1: Hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, does this same formula work? And, and people are listening to us today who are probably saying, well, you know, these guys have – big churches and budgets and all this stuff. And, and I'm I'm in the rural area, and what's happening in my rural area is, and I'm sure it happened in your town in Alabama. It happened in my small town in Georgia. Uh, it's happening to an extent uh, in my church that I pastor now in East Dublin, Georgia, that uh, uh, we're skipping a generation. A generation will, for example, I, I would suspect you, uh, so you were there, your grandparents were there, your mom was there, you, and, and then what happened, you, because of the opportunities you got, you went to Vanderbilt, and then you, and then you moved, uh, and, and, and you did not come back to your small town. So, so, so that person, uh, that's one less person on the pew, and if you multiply it times the families that are in a church, uh, eventually that church is going to have, uh, because they don't have that generational replacement. So my, my my question is, how? What do we do about that?
2: Well, I think the machine that we make is by assuming that people of certain demographics are not interested in church. So I actually did move back home. So when I got pregnant with my son, I wanted to be a stay-at-home mom and so I was living in Nashville and it was less expensive for me to live in Evergreen, Alabama and not have a job than Nashville, Tennessee. And so that's really where my ministry began because as I was going to church with my mom, she was, you know, heavily involved in Christian education and I thought that there were no other young adults And it was perplexing to me because I'm like, you know, I know that there are young adults in the city. I know that there are young adults, you know, around, but why are they not coming to church? Why are they not engaging in ministry? And then looking at the programming, again, going back to the programming that was offered, like there was um, one one event that was like a young adult, um, what was it? It was a prayer breakfast for young adults. And I'm like, yo, like, young adults are not getting up at 7, 8 o'clock in the morning to come to a prayer breakfast. So, again, looking at if you're trying to reach this generation, it's not that they don't exist. Even in these small towns, there are plenty of young adults that exist there, but are the ministries being developed to speak to their needs, to speak to where they are in their life? So when I got involved, I started doing um, some book studies, started doing, like, just some fellowship activities to help people get to know each other because a lot of young adult Christians want other Christian friends. So especially if they're new in the faith and it's like, all right, you know, my friends that I've been hanging with, like, they're still going to the club, so I'm trying to figure out, like, how do I start this new life? Like, what resources are we providing to help them navigate that? And so if the only answer that we have is, like, well, you know, what we had was good enough for grandma and grandpa, so it's got to be good enough for you. They're they're going to reject it because it's not meeting their needs. Because the needs that grandma and grandpa had are not the same needs that young adults have today. But when you start offering ministries that meet their needs, they're going to come.
1: Mm. And, and so, it sounds to me that a, a key to all this is uh, is is imagination. It is, it is having the the. The courage to imagine, or as you have branded it, to rethink church. So I'm going to give you a magic wand uh, and, and some <laughs> magic tools, and I, I want you to, to to recreate the church that you think should how the church should look and how how the church should function.
2: Well, I will say that I am um, contemporary and traditional. So I still love Sunday worship, love Sunday worship, love being in the sanctuary, love being at the altar. I just wish that um, more church leaders would be intentional about the experiences that they're creating on Sunday. So it's not a program, but we are supposed to be designing an experience that will lead to an encounter with the Holy Spirit. And I just wonder sometimes, like, how much effort really goes into planning, like, and even when you look at the liturgy or you look at, you know, how our programs are structured, I've seen people, you know, take out pieces and they rearrange pieces. But if you study the order of worship, it is to lead to a climactic moment, which is the invitation to discipleship so everything that we're singing everything that we're doing is to lead to that moment and in the you know us trying to like rush and do this our power and we got to hurry up and get through church and i'm like where are you going you know if you say god is ahead of your life and you know you're out in omega Where else do you have to be other than creating this experience that leads to people saying, like, wow, my faith has been renewed. Wow, like, I've been, you know, replenished with the Holy Spirit. I've had an encounter. So, one, I don't think we do a very good job of being intentional about creating that type of space. And the second thing is, you know, I would just like to see more leaders being intentional about identifying the calling on the lives of their members. Because so often members are sitting in congregations feeling like it's up to the leadership or the department leader or the pastor to execute or to do ministry. When the reality is God has called all of us to do something. Some people he's called to do something that may seem greater than others, but all of us play a part in the building of his kingdom. We're all parts of the body of Christ. And if you're a finger and, you know, I'm a kneecap, The finger is just as valuable. Try losing one of your fingers. You'll see that your finger is just as valuable as your kneecap. So we all have a part to play, but too often, the way churches are structured, it seems like the work only falls on a few people because we haven't really compelled the rest of the membership to identify what has God called you to do, who has God called you to serve. And when you have, you know, even if you only have 20 people in your church, when those 20 people are each doing the thing that God has called them to do, then your church may seem small, but you will be doing a great work. Because now instead of two or three people doing work, you have 20 people just doing their little part to push the um, agenda forward. And then I would like to see us, like, really think, you know, the whole model of the church building. Again, like, you know, how can we be a resource in our communities? You know, open your doors for nonprofits to have meetings. Open the doors for social services to come in and provide resources. Because everybody can't make it to, you know, DHS if they need to go make an appointment. And a lot of times those departments will send people out if you request it. You know, having um your – elected officials to come and give quarterly reports. Again, you don't want to get involved in campaigning like I understand that and do not advise it. However, when a person has been elected, they are now accountable to that community. Invite your mayor. Invite your city council people to come and give a state of the county address. And let your community know what's happening. What do we need to be concerned about? And when you when we start doing those types of things, then the community around the church will start to feel like, wow, like this church really cares about me. And they're not just here on, you know, Sunday and Wednesday driving in and driving back out, but they're really doing things to try to improve our lives. So I think those would be the three things I would wish for with my magic wand.
0: All right.
1: Well, thank you so much, Lakeisha Womack. Um before we go, please tell everyone how uh, church leaders and others can get in touch with you for some of the services that you that you offer.
2: Yeah, so you can go to um, rethinkingchurchstrategies.com. dot com. That's the um, home base for all of our efforts. We are planning now for our July virtual summit. I think we have um, three keynote speakers. We have. Um, Reverend um, Jennifer Maxwell-Watley, we have Dr. Otis Moss III, and we have Dr. Um, Pamela Lightsey as our keynote speakers, and then we have about 75 breakout sessions that will be around our six cohort themes, which are church administration and Christian education, digital discipleship, demographic ministry, economic empowerment, social impact, and worship and arts. So we have registration options where you can either register for a cohort and just stay within the one topic that you're interested in, or you can get access to all of the sessions. So super excited about the summit coming up. It's July July 14th through the 16th. And then we are also planning for the launch of Rethink TV, which will be a streaming channel on Roku that should be launching in September, as well as our Rethinking Business Incubator. And we're working on developing a Um, virtual black business ecosystem. So hoping all of those projects will be um, ready to launch in the fall just to um, help people to rethink how we as Christians operate not only in the church but in community and in business.
1: And, folks, she's doing all that and she's planning a wedding.
2: (laughs) Right, and I'm a candidate for general office, So uh, for our general office. So I have a wedding, then I have the um, Rethinking Church Virtual Summit, and then I have our general conference. So it's a lot going on, but I just thank God that after all these years of me searching and, you know, asking and crying and pleading, like, God, show me, you know, <laughs> help me to see who I'm supposed to be and what I'm supposed to do. Like, the vision has finally um, become clear. And this really blessed at all the people who are signing on to be a part of the work and who see the vision and want to be a part of this. So if anybody's interested, we would definitely love to have you join our community. We share resources and also share opportunities for engagement.
1: All right. So, the Reverend Leticia Womack, an ordained deacon in the African Methodist Episcopal John Zion Church, and as you can see, uh, a young lady with lots of great uh, suggestions and ideas and a lot going on. Thank you so much
0: for joining us here on the podcast.
2: And thank you so much for having me. It's always a pleasure to speak
0: with you. The podcast is a production of Two to Point Ministries in association with the New Bethel African Methodist Episcopal Church in East Dublin, Georgia. Our great team that helped put this podcast together includes Annie Ingram, Erica Bland, and Chandler Bland. Mel Bland is our executive producer. NBCDublin.com is your 24-7 worship center for New Bethel. There you'll find sermons, blogs, podcasts, videos, and commentary. I hope that you'll check it out. I'm Marvin Bland, and you've been listening to the podcast and the next time we upload, blessings, peace, and love.